The Tumbling Saber Podcast is a proud member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Connect with us on Twitter and Facebook. Subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts. Visit our base at StarWarsCommonwealth.com and take your first steps into a larger world. Everybody, welcome back for another episode of the Tumbling Saber Podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm Corey. And I'm Carlos. Welcome back, everybody. Back after a week away from the mic on the main show, just kind of stepping back and watching the world change, uh, hopefully for the better. You know, after after so much anger and frustration was just vented and displayed across the world, uh, and right, rightfully so, right? Um, yep. 100%. I just, I needed to shelve the pod for a week. Uh, it, it just felt so trivial and self-indulgent to see what was going on out there and then try to find a way to talk about Star Wars. And you know, I, I can't focus on this right now. I need to work on a podcast. It felt so, I don't even, like, selfish. You know what I mean? Like, it just it just felt wrong to me. So, anyway, we put it away for a week. Nothing nothing lost on our from our perspective, or at least from my perspective. And... Uh, here we are again. I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully a little brighter, a little more aware of some of these vital issues before us now, and and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully ready to do a part to to make things a little better for everybody. But uh, I, I got my Tim Tams here, a little Tim Tam snack before the <laughs> oh. podcast, and uh, ready to talk about the GFFA, man. So how are you guys doing, Carlos? What's up, man? Not much. Uh, yeah, things uh, things are uh, moving along. Uh, yeah. As they do. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah. All right, Corey, how about, how about you? How, how are you doing over there? Not, not too bad, you know, same old, just uh, keeping socially distant and whatnot, just waiting for the world to somewhat normalize, hopefully, if it ever does. But uh, I don't know, I checked out the Jedi Temple Challenge this week. I thought that was kind of cool. My son was digging it. That was That was a nice little new thing to... To have got that as well was postponed and also pushed to the YouTube channel, the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel, which was I don't know, a little disappointing, like I had mentioned earlier. But I don't think I it don't is know what it was, is. I don't think it was ever scheduled for Disney Plus. I think that was just an assumption that people made. No, I think that I I saw a header for it that it was pushed when like when it was originally delayed. Then they said, uh, you know what, we're just going to put it there. Oh, okay, maybe, whatever. I, which is kind of I don't know. I I don't get it. Like. So, I get it, and I don't. I don't know. Well, maybe they needed some life into that YouTube Kids channel. You know, little drawing lessons and Galaxy of Adventures, maybe not cutting it. So let's put a real show in there that, you know, you put an Ahmed Best in there. You know, it, it'll draw some eyeballs. My kids loved it. Loved it. Yeah, Holy sure, right? cow. They were freaking out. They saw the first episode and were like, I want to see another one so badly. And I'm like, well, good, for, good to know, because there's a second episode. And we watched that. and. They were they were riveted, absolutely. They're like, we we got to go on that show. I'm like, oh geez, how do I break this to you? <laughs> yeah, not my only, son said the exact same thing. Not only can you not get across the border, but even if you could, do you know how long this lineup is? Like the the list of kids trying trying to get on this show must be longer than the supremacy. Like holy cow, every kid's gonna want on this show. Anyway, uh, 
what else, Corey? What's else? What else in your week of Star Wars? Well, not too much to be honest. I mean, uh... I gotta tell you, the excitement level is way too low. Like, come on, <laughs> what is it? What are you doing? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to. I didn't get a chance to do too much collecting. Well, I mean, we got two weeks of collecting work to talk about, which is, but nothing recently. But uh, anyway, I still got a lot of stuff to talk about, but which is kind of exciting. Hopefully, I get it all. A lot of it's on pre-order. You going to elaborate, or is that for? Yeah, for sure. Actually, all right, yeah, we're going to go into the collecting update. That's fine. Yeah. All right. So I don't know. I, I went ahead and got the uh, pre-ordered those a couple of those uh, Black Series six-inch figures. I had the Tebow, Akbar, Beskar, Mando, and Camino clone, all through Amazon. I mean, I've been quite lucky with Amazon. I'm not going to complain. Uh, I really want those figures. Hopefully. Hopefully they come through. I really got my fingers crossed on a couple of those anyway. At least Beskar Mando and the Camino clone. Akbar and Tebow, you know, I wouldn't be heartbroken if I, I don't get them. I'll, I'll find them eventually. But uh, other than that, what did I get? I got the uh, 290 or Zero the, from the Mandalorian, the uh, the bounty hunter droid. Kind of looks like Forlom in Funko f- Pop version. Oh, okay. Funko. I was like, what? There's a figure of that? Yeah, no, the, um, you know, I was always about the robots, all about the robots. So I saw one, Star Wars, very fitting. I like the character as well. He was kind of creepy. Uh, what else? I found a Mandalorian figure, vintage collection in the wild, like two weeks ago. Uh, other than that, it's been very Bat-centric, very, very Bat-heavy. I'm totally, yeah, I pretty much dove into this McFarlane line now. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's like a seven-inch figure your line yeah toys are pretty solid I, I bought one for my son i let him you know unbox it of superman and yeah the the figures themselves are quite sturdy um pretty impressed man so anyway i went ahead and bought nightwing uh batgirl and i got <laughs> batman detective comics 1000 this week i don't know if you've seen that one that's a pretty sweet figure man it is and then i also just received the uh in the mail from amazon i got the batman essentials or dc essentials line of batman nightfall so that's basically him in his gray suit with the the blue cape and cowl i I gotta ask you what are you gonna do with all this stuff like you have (laughs) so much stuff now what are you gonna do with it once once i unbox it considering you are like you have sort of a defined limit to how much space you're allowed to to eat up with your collection less than what i have and i can only display a quarter of what i own yeah it's gonna be a problem it's gonna be a problem (laughs) whatever you know eventually we 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 might move eventually and we'll see what happens there but i don't know uh you just gotta change it up i guess you know you gotta keep it fresh at least once you have a better handle on it and things are a little more organized you can kind of be like all right this this you know, trimester, I'm going to go with uh, a bat theme. Then uh, let's, let's bust out some X-Men. Let's, you know, and then let's do some Spider-Man or whatever, Star Wars. Now, it can be some work, but at the same time, you can keep start keeping things clean as well. You know, like changing it up every now and again, keeping it fresh. That'll probably be the plan for the, the time being. The posters and stuff will probably be permanent. Carlos, what do you think the chances of this happening? The chances of what exactly? That he will, you know, uh, zero. (laughs) (laughs) I I always like to give people a puncher's chance, you know, (laughs) Buster Douglas did happen. Yeah, that's that. That is true. 
He did. Hey, he, his I'm, horse I'm, came in. You know, I, I want these these things up uh, up and running eventually, man. It'd be so sweet to have like a Sinister Six like mock up or diorama. I know oh, it sounds I, so nerdy, but a hundred percent, I totally agree with you. It's, it. I feel like I need to give you like the when Kramer said he was going to build levels in his apartment. <laughs> I, I, I know you. I know you say you can do it, but you won't do it. <laughs> well, I think that unless unless you have a whole room, like a big room too, a decent sized room, like there's no way you can display everything at once. Unless again, if you unbox everything, that's a different story as well. That gives you that saves you a lot of space, man. Oh, that. I, but then again, you're not gonna. I, a lot I, of people, I will like, not give you a, a, a puncher's chance on that one. You won't unbox. I don't know. Nah. Certain lines, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Tell but me. Okay. either way, like people, people in our position, like, I mean, if you're part of these groups and whatnot, you see that even if people unbox the toy, they're most likely still keeping the box in storage somewhere. Which is again, like real estate. Yeah, for sure. Uh, to me, when I, when, once I crack that seal and open the box, it's gone. I, I generally pitch it. Unless I need it, unless it's something fragile that I want to repack it into that, you know, specialized packaging. Beyond that, goodbye. You're out. I guess it depends on the packaging, too. If it's a bubble pack, then, you know, they usually get tore up in the process. But if it's like a Black Series or a Marvel Legends, you know, they got some good structural integrity. You can hold some stuff in there, like the extra accessories and whatnot. And the, the art on them is pretty fantastic for for the most part, some of them. This is true. That's why I like that the Rebels line is taking a bit of a turn. That new Rebels line that's coming out is taking a turn in that direction, it seems like. And I hope they move forward with that. Well, I wonder how many people are going to buy, I guess, you know, buy the buy the boxes for the artwork on the box and then buy a separate one so they can open said box and display the figure so they have it both ways. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Like, I have pretty much the full line already, except for Zeb. So I've ordered a second Zeb pretty much just for that, you know, like to have that, <laughs> the boxes in the background and then to pretty much open the rest and play with them. Knock on my door. Knock next time. I'll oh, be honest. Uh, the, the boxes for the, the, the Lego helmet uh, series, uh, they're, they're going to be displayed behind the helmets themselves. Oh, the boxes. They're that, they're they're nice. that nice. They yeah. are nice boxes. So I mean I do understand that part, you know, like there there is there is a, a certain allure to having like lovely boxes. Sure, absolutely, but you know I think in a lot of cases, and I, I do see this in the collector groups where guys will unbox their Black Series figures and then take that Black Series box and put it back into the into storage as is, so that one day if they want to put it back in the box and sell it, you know, as a whole, they do that. Which is fine. I mean, you, you, you be upfront with other people that you're selling to that this is opened but still in box, and, and you know you price it accordingly. But yeah, with uh, with Lego, at least you can fold down the box, in a lot of cases. And when you you have those helmet boxes that are just that nice, they're display worthy on their own. Yeah, exactly. I haven't built them yet either, so uh, that's gonna be it's gonna be a fun little project for the new apartment and the new bookshelves. Oh boy. Yep. Have you added anything to the collection Lego wise this week or over the last couple of weeks? No, there's actually a Lego shortage happening right now. Uh oh. Yeah, there's, uh, it's, um, 
the, the, the main supplier of Lego uh, to North America, the, the factory in Mexico was closed down. Oh, Jesus. Uh, yeah. So it's not uh, there. If you look, if you look on the Lego store online, a lot of the stuff is e- either out of stock temporarily or back order. And um, I, I'm sure the listeners and you guys will recall uh, I didn't get the or the Stormtrooper helmet uh, originally because I, I didn't think I wanted it. And then when I finally was able to reorder it, I got it with um, – it was a European box. So it actually has a sticker uh, on the bottom so that they could sell it in North America with the piece count. Um, so it's, it's, the box itself is different. It actually has the push tabs on the back. So I, I, I'm actually like contemplating whether or not I'm actually going to open this one or just order another one and, um, maybe sell this one. Um, just for the, just for the, the fact that there is no tape on the bottom of the box. You actually have to break, you have to perforate the bottom of the box to get the, the, the pieces out, which I don't like. Uh, so yeah, so, so yeah, there, there's uh, Lego's been um, been uh, running around trying to figure out how they're gonna get stuff done, and some of the stuff that that was uh, marked to be released on August first uh, now no longer has a release date, and it's just a coming soon. So I don't think they know um, when those sets are gonna be released. So as far as the the Mando and uh, Baby Yoda brick double brickhead pack, uh, that's still on August first. But everything else no longer has a release date, which is scary to me. Oh, that's that's really scary. Yeah, the Razor Crest is no longer guaranteed to be shipped out on September first. That's yeah. That's oh my goodness, not good. So glad I already got mine. Your Razor Crest, yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Oh boy, not gonna go there. Um, no, but uh, yeah, it's it's a touchy situation. Like everybody, uh, yeah, it's uh, every everybody's affected by by what's going on and um, premium product like Lego. Uh, it's you know they, they they're they're hustling behind the scenes to try to get stuff out, and it's it's not pretty. I suggest to go check out the Lego store just to um, the Lego online. Click on themes and uh, click on Star Wars and you'll see how much of their of the top 10 uh, priced Lego sets. Only two are in stock. Oh, man. Yeah. Sketchy stuff. Well, I do trust Lego more than I trust any other manufacturer to get their issues sorted and back on track at any at some point in the near future like i if 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 this was hasbro i'd say we're all screwed we are all screwed and it's going to be an absolute free-for-all in getting in getting those figures but it's not it's lego and they're way way more organized (laughs) than hasbro's ever been so i it may take a little longer but i have i'm pretty sure everybody's going to get the stuff they wanted uh, cool. So, anything else Star Wars wise for you, Carlos? Watch any of the movies? Take anything yeah. else? Yeah, yeah. This week has been uh, it's been a deep dive into the, the uh, Disney Gallery and um, Mandalorian, and uh, rewatched the Rise of Skywalker, um, rewatched uh, Revenge of the Sith, 
um, yeah, it's been uh, just going back and and looking at stuff and trying to find some through lines, which which are there, and uh, some real shoddy editing and dialogue that's getting on my nerves. <laughs> that's Star Wars, baby. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, we did watch Revenge of the Sith as well, or as my son likes to refer to it, uh, Long Hair Anakin. <laughs> he wants, Sometimes he wants to watch Short Hair Anakin, Little Boy Anakin, and Long Hair Anakin. So that, that's how I know which movie he likes to see. Um, we, I also am like, dude, we, Carter, we got to go watch some Clone Wars. And I wanted to, I want him to see the Umbara arc because I thought his mind would be blown by uh, Pong Krell. And just with the with the dual double sided lightsaber action, and he was like, "Whoa, man!" <laughs> what the hell? He was so freaked out over this guy who just flies all over the place with these lightsabers. It was wild, and also a really good arc. Like I love that arc. It's one of it's one of my top arcs. We didn't talk arc. about it uh, when we did our Clone Wars recap a few months ago. We mentioned it. Well, we yeah, it was honorable mentioned for sure. That was one that we really wanted to look at, or at least I did. But uh, just just if we had more time or if we had planned much sooner in, in advance, we could have we would have gotten to that one very, very shortly. But I love that. That, that was kind of like the uh, the sequel to like what I was talking about. Like, I, I really wanted to do a, an ode to the troopers. Anyway, yeah, that that could have played into that as well, you know. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Uh, collecting wise, I had a bit of a big week as well. Which was Ooh. nice. I had a, yeah, a bit of a win this week. Um, my, my case, uh, my f- case of uh, 40th anniversary figures came black series. So that, I, and I haven't even opened that yet. I've been, I've been thinking I'm going to do some sort of video for it and fee- and uh, pad that. Who'd you order from, Co? Uh, Northman. Oh, really? Eh. Yeah. He's all. I, I also. He's got my case of the second wave that will be coming later this summer. Um, but yeah, that finally arrived. Canada Post f- finally saw it fit to deliver. So yay. And I might, like I said, I might do a video on that at some point this week. Um, and then I was out this weekend doing the rounds and I found the retro collection, the three and three quarter em- empire line, five figures out of the six. Carlos, I'll give you a w- one guess as to the guy who's missing. Uh, f- uh ooh, the retro collection five out of six. Uh, who's missing? Uh, X Men Luke. Um, yeah. <laughs> what? What? Can can I Corey for the steal? Sure, Corey, go for the steal. Boba Fett. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Boba oh. Fett. <laughs> I said X Wing Luke. So <laughs> X Wing that that figure is packed with another game board set, like Tarkin was for the New Hope line. So that Ooh. I have yet to grab that. I'll probably find that at some point. But yeah, Boba Fett, of course. Like as soon as those things get those standees with all the figures stocked in them goes out, bam, people run in there and just pillage all the the Boba Fett. I don't know what it is. As soon as there's a Mandalorian helmet on a figure, they disappear. It's over. It's over. It's gone. It's it's it's, it's it, ah whatever. It is what it it's is. The way. That that is that is the way. That's the way the the way the way has been. For a long time, and I'm sick of it. <laughs> so now I've got five of these fi- six figures, and I gotta fi- I gotta get that Boba Fett now. It's gonna be a, a really frustrating search because I don't know that these things will be continually restocked. Otherwise, I I did find a Funko 2019 convention exclusive Sand Trooper. 
So a step outside the norm for me from uh, the Mandalorian line. But I'm surprised I've, you went for that. Yeah, I, I saw it up there on the shelf and I was like, you know what? I like that figure. I'm going to grab it. I, I, that was actually the first thing. I, I've got that before I got the retro figures. And I'm like, I just need a win. I need a, I need a collecting win this week. And so I snatched that. And then I, I, I added it to my Funko app in my collection. And holy shit, that, that figure is like trending big time. It's like a $50 figure. Nice. So uh, that's a sweet little score. Uh, but I also did also also dip into that DC McFarlane line. I had to oh, do it. Yeah, yes. So I finally snagged. I got uh, Batman and Superman, the animated versions. That That's my oh, Batman cool. and Superman. Gotta have those. So... I'm the- I always thought for sure you would have went for the uh, Detective Comics and Action Comics. Oh God, no, no, no! I'm I'm all about the animated versions. Love that. My favorite versions of of those DC characters, bar none. Yeah, I have them both as well. They're nice. I thought about get, also getting Green Lantern, but I yeah I cooled my jets a little bit because if I knew they were doing like Wonder Woman, Aquaman, uh, Martian Manhunter, Cyborg, or all you know, all the typical Justice League members. I would buy. I would. I would have snapped up just uh, Green Lantern as well. But I don't. Oh, there's a good that. chance they are, bro. I mean, oh, if they're doing probably. Green Lantern, and it's it's not even Hal Jordan. Who is it? It's um, John Stewart. Uh, yes. Yeah, it's the John Stewart version, which I love. Phil Lamar voice behind that. I love that version of. That's my. I think it's probably my favorite Green Lantern. But uh, I held off. I mean, it'll be out there for a while yet. I don't have to pull the trigger just yet. Uh, but anyway, I also scored a sweet Empire Strikes Back t-shirt with Yoda on the front with in, in some Macquarie art. Nice. So I, I have like no yeah, I got that one t- too. t-shirts. I've got like two. Oh, Corey, if you and I ever show up in the same place wearing the same t-shirt, that would be so, so not cool. Yeah, I need I need to be there with a camera. Like. <laughs> a t-shirt's too sweet though, man. Like that's way up there for me now. Like it's it's got like the real real retro vintage vibe to it with the coloring and whatnot it's very 70s anyway yeah i'm all about it for sure yeah so that was my week in collecting that was uh, a lot of wins this week so i'm happy about that um yeah and then we can uh, we can we can now jump into our catch-up on disney gallery episode six and seven so going through it real quick um episode six the process and goes without saying like i love this show every episode has been right up my street man i just love it to death i'll be so sad come next week when it ends yeah it's sad eh? i was thinking about that too it's like oh seven like i just i remember it feels like yesterday we were saying oh we're only halfway through and i you know i don't know that they'll do it for season two like i don't i don't i don't i don't see the need for it like they've covered the bases here and beyond that it's just going into like more detailed stuff, which I don't really care for. I like hearing like the, the high well, level. Look, I think the show, the gallery itself will continue, but not with the Mando. No, no, it's no, going there's... into uh, frozen two next. There you yeah. go. Which I'll still watch. And you know, my daughter will be over the moon to watch it. So I'll, I'm happy to sit there and watch that with her. Uh, but yeah, the process, man, right off the hop, Favreau says something. The, the thing that probably means the most to me that anybody has said in over the course of the previous five episodes in that he said he, he wants to be, he doesn't want to be influenced by star Wars, but by the things that influenced George Lucas when he made yeah. star Wars. And that I'm like, perfect. That like, that is the exact thing I want to hear. 
from like all the creatives. Like, I don't want guys to come in and just try and ape what George Lucas did. I want them to be like seeped, like marinated to the bone with the stuff that George Lucas was influenced by. That to me will produce a better product. That's a good point. Like, and, and they, him and Felonia discussed, uh, like, just, you know, have you seen this movie? Have you seen that? Mostly samurais and cowboy westerns, which is awesome, man. Like, yeah, Ryan Johnson did, did that as well for, for The Last Jedi. And I, I assume it's probably not uncommon that directors will do that and say, hey, guys, like, let's get inspired. These are the movies that I'm thinking about right now as, as the vibe for the movie that we're about to do. So let's, let's go watch those movies and talk about them and, and, and see where, where, you know, we can add flavors from those movies into ours. But yeah, uh, Carlos, what stood out to you in this episode? Um, honestly, the thing that stood out uh, the most to me was just how happy these people were to talk about the process. Yeah. Like it seemed like they had such fun and, I I love that. It made me uh, that episode made me want to go back and re and binge the series. Absolutely. Yeah. This That's episode. What out the most. This episode made me really want to go back to see that uh, episode five or six on that rebel ship, the rebel prison ship, or the I six. Guess, yeah, with I think Rick Famuyiwa did that one. Yep. What a cool episode that turned out to be. One of my favorites. Yeah, when he goes in and takes out all four droids. Yeah. I made a point of mentioning that. It was so cool how they talked about how that the droids were originally supposed to be like these floating blocks. <laughs> and they're like, nah, we got the stunt guys. Let's let's get some choreography in there and get Doug Chang on the phone. And they, you know, they wanted to have like the whole arms and legs to it all, which was so cool in retrospect. What a great call that yeah. was. The way Mando goes in there and takes out those droids. That scene is not nearly as cool if it's just those floating like sentry droids. And the banter is awesome too. Like the writing, the writing's top notch. Uh, the, I have questions with the with the casting of some of the characters in in not in that show specifically, but for the whole the whole series. But uh, the writing has been really really good compared to some other Star Wars oh, projects. Yeah, yeah this <laughs> the yeah the the writing in this has been much more solid and polished. I think. Yeah, 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 and the directing, obviously, and we're gonna to get to that a little later. But uh, yeah, love did, it. Did you get the I, sense from like just based on the on the banter from the directors? Mm. Um, I, I got the the sense from them that coming into it, they were so unsure of the process. Like it was all so foreign to them. They're like, "Whoa, like what is this? Like the pr- like going from the I, I don't think you were like not, I, not, I wouldn't say I don't I don't mean to say that they were like intimidated or like wow i don't want to do this but just out of their comfort zone and eager to Not do it really but... yeah eager like look at bryce dallas howard like she kind of introduces the process in the way that you know they're they're streamlining this new technology with the previs and whatnot like it to me that's the essence of star wars man like yes it could be a bit intimidating but john favreau seems to be very hands-on with them and he seems to have garnered quite a bit of experience through the Lion King and the Jungle Book, right? Using this technology, or I guess more uh, the Jungle Book. But either way, like, you know, it's a step forward as well. And again, that, like as I was saying, that's the essence of Star Wars in the sense that it's something from a technological standpoint that hasn't really been done before. 
and they're doing it now. And, you know, the technology was readily available, but for some reason, no one was really taking it to this next level. And like they were saying, it, it makes the director's job not easier, but, you know, it, it makes the whole cast and crew's job easier in the sense that everybody's working from the same playbook and just a big jump forward in storytelling for them from that standpoint. And, and I, I like they were the, happy, not intimidated. I, I like the fact that they, they talked about how, like, even when, like, uh, George came in and he's like, this is exactly what I wanted. Like, uh, this is exactly yeah. how I wanted to do it, you know, like, and they're they're finally there. And, um, yeah, I thought that was really well, cool. About when he, they're in the volume with the uh, the background drops, right? Instead no, of the green in, screen? No, even in this one. Uh, they, they 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 were talking about like they didn't interview George, but obviously, but like they they were talking about how he said like Kathleen, I think was talking about it, you know, and yeah, I just thought it was oh man, it, well, like was, she was all about the money, man. Like when she was talking about it, like basically saying you know like it saves them from making cuts later on, you know, like it might be a bit of arduous in the time to get it done, but in over the long overall process it there's kind nothing of on the cutting room time. floor yeah yeah that like if there is it's not a big deal like they don't have to go back and do reshoots kind of you know what, what, what did they say about snow white that there were there was there was animation no, left on the floor which is was, kind of unheard of yeah exactly. for the amount of work that they put into it i guess yeah like yeah. I, i'm amazed at how refined the process is on this show like once they get down to shooting on set in the volume like the actual show like they've gone through this exercise of mapping out for shot for shot and entire sequences in like previs in the animatics and like these very rudimentary sketches of how, who's going to move in the blocking and all this stuff. How so, cool was that though? Those rudimentary sketches, but that's what that I mean. Like really cool. they do like, you know, a whole episode's worth so that when it comes time to shoot and that's kind of where Kathleen was, I think going with that is that there's, we're not going to waste time well, let's, let's try a shot like this and let's try a shot like that. And it's not to say that they won't experiment with experiment with a different shot, but because of the, the, I think the complexity of, of using this technology and the specific specificity of like the setups, like you have to know what you're doing going in. So it's, they, it's like, um, if for anyone who doesn't know, like, I don't know if you guys know, like augmented reality, like there was a big thing back in the day, kind of where like, you know, you can change, like, use your phone to look into another world through this world. And it, it's the same thing in re regards to this previs stuff because the cameras work in real time inside this digital environment. So if the cameramen want to move around and stuff, they're still in that environment, which is kind of a game changer. Yeah, it's it's wild. But like, just to hear, you know, that they've, they've planned it out so down to the nth like degree that um you know like, like there's no wasted time or footage so that they can bang out these episodes pretty systematically and then yeah again like listening to to kathleen kennedy speak like i'm always amazed at how people think she's not fit for the job and like yes of course she's like the head bean counter and she's not a story person but the way she talks in this episode to me like she's saying like at this stage in this animatic stage this is where we give the storytellers all the rope they need just to iterate on story is the way the wording she used and just do it over and over and like get the story out at this stage. You have the time, like you've got so much pre and Favreau said it like you, 
we have so much pre-production time as a, and, and very little post-production time relative to a movie. But in their pre- previous stage, they've got all the time in the world to plan it out. Right. And, and that's what I thought was so cool. So, that they, you know, that they have all this time to iterate on story before it gets committed to screen or to film. And and then I just thought about, well, geez, like how seri- serious of a problem did you guys think you had when you pull the plug on Rogue One when it's 80 percent shot or whatever or solo <laughs> that is like 70 percent shot or uh, pulling the plug on Trevorrow? Like that's it's crazy to me that that was they will pull the plug on a project that has gone that far if they have to. Lord and Miller is the prime example of that. I mean, that went right to the bitter end. I think 80 to 85% completion of the film, which is astronomical when it comes to a budgetary standpoint. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was, it was, anyway, the process was a really, really great episode. Um, anything else on this one before we move into the score? Well, uh, I think we'll say it for as a, a bridge between both. I love that Filoni has been kind of key in every episode of this this series like he's very hands-on he's always right beside John Favreau kind of and even if John's not there it seems like he's kind of leading the way a bit too people are looking up to him and I think that's just a, a beautiful thing and yeah I'm on the same page with you the process is it's it's a game changer man like for not only Star Wars but this technology is kind of readily available to anyone who actually wants to go out there and spend the money on it so I, I think people are going to take a page from the Mando's playbook and, you know, hopefully we'll all be seeing higher quality content. I wonder if the, like, I know that none of this stuff is patented, so any studio could, could use it. So I wonder if like Marvel's going to use it for their shows or anybody, really anybody like it's, it's out there. It also depends on the director too. You know, like if John Favreau, I think is the guy who kind of brought this to the table, like, Hey, you know, I've been working on the jungle book and, he just gathered a bit of knowledge and understanding of how this could work. And, you know, with Disney's extra financial backing, like, you know, with his sales pitch, I think he's the one who really bring, bring it to fruition saying we're, you know, we're there at the, at the cusp. Like let's, let's take the, the leap. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that leads us into this last week's episode, the score, which was all about the music of the Mandalorian Man, like the, that opening shot with uh, Ludwig Göransson, and he's he's playing that the opening notes of the Mando's theme. Oh, I, honest so to God, cool. thought he was playing on a piece of like PVC plumbing. Yeah, that's what that looked like. Those recorders. Yeah, <laughs> I thought he was like playing with like, honest to God, like bathroom plumbing that he had fashioned together. And then my wife was like, "No, that's that that's like a is that like a baritone recorder or something like that." Yeah, pretty much. I was like, wow, that's crazy that that cheap instrument <laughs> produces that sound and that, that we already all know and love. It's crazy. Like I got I, I only knew of him by name going into this series. But man, his work is impressive. This guy's impressive. He's such a young guy, too. Like, I think this guy's got a decent career in front of him. Oh, my God. Yes. I, I have just like piggyback on that for a second, Kyle, in the sense that. You know, you guys, you're the audio filing, you know, Carlos, you're the, you're both very big into music. I love music too, but you know, if anybody was going to know about the music, it was you guys. I didn't do my due diligence here. Now, 
you know, I heard this guy was cast or doing uh, the music back in the day. And I was like, man, I trust him, whatever. I didn't research who the guy was. So when I saw him in this documentary, I was like, what, what the heck? I was like, not what I was expecting. You know, that, that sounds like you're kind of like classing people or, you know, stereotypes and whatnot, but seriously not what I was expecting, man. Like, wow. Totally blown away. Like, first of all, like you said, Kyle, the age factor is a big thing there. Uh, but also just his style, man, and like who he's worked with. It's very, very, very impressive. And I just, I'm kind of enamored with the guy now. Like, I love the whole process of the music in the sense that he was super experimental and he just got it. It seemed like, you know, like he was, he was on the same page. And he even said at one point in this, in the, in the, in the episode that, you know, you guys are so open and like, you know, just very receptive. And John was like, yeah, well, it was really good. You know, like if it wasn't good, we wouldn't be so receptive. Like, but yeah, I mean, he, he, he nailed like these themes already to me, to me are so iconic. And, you know, I, when I was working in an office, my, a couple of years ago, a friend and I, we had our own little thing going and he every day would play Enrico Marconi for like, it would be, we'd hear a soundtrack once a day and i don't know i i love westerns man so that he really captured and embodied that a bit and uh just the way he did it with all the experimentation was so interesting man with the computers and the synthesizers like carlos you could probably attest to this like there's this one i think it was a synthesizer he had said that he had plugged his electric guitar in and he said that's his native music tongue kind of like that's his first instrument yeah and the synthesizer is like you just can't get sounds out of the computer that this thing makes, you know, which is really cool. Well, you, nowadays there there are uh, pedals, especially from a company called Strymon, that uh, can uh, duplicate some of those bigger, huge modules, like the one the Roland that he was using from the seventies. Um, but like. Yeah, you create these like escapes where you're you're strumming and all of a sudden you're getting like these pad sounds. Uh, yeah, it's, you, you don't expect that type of sound to come from a guitar. Um, and growing up, I, I was kind of against that type of uh, uh, modulation and that type of uh, effect on guitars. I was more of a purist. Uh, but uh, the older I get, the more I, I, I love the, the sounds that you can get out of some of these things. And, um, yeah, I was blown away. I was blown away by his creativity and his, his ingenuity and, uh, obviously his, uh, his skill as a composer. Um, but if you guys want to, you want, you want to go back to last November 12th, when I, when, when we watched the first episode and I said, there was one thing I didn't like about the music. Do you remember what that was? I don't. I said that there was like a hint of the Rocky theme. Oh yeah, it, did, yeah. In the Mandalorian theme, and then when I went to go, and I had no idea who this guy was, and I went back and I looked at his uh, IMDb, and he did the soundtrack for Creed and Creed Two. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of gives it's in him. Yeah, it's in him. It gives me the credence <laughs> and, oh, of boy. my of my musical ear. To have picked that out because you could tell that he was there is something about like that the the one the one on one the gunman but it's also the one on one in the boxing ring yeah 
and and like I I I'm so happy that I I because you know ego I was I was able to pick that out. <laughs> uh, proud of myself. Um, and I, I came back. Like I think as the season wore on, and uh, each uh, they, they talked about it in this episode that how each episode has its own theme. Um, for for the the score of each episode has a different theme with the underlying theme of the Mandalorian. Um, but as the season wears on, you kind of get less and less of the, the brass from the, the main Mandalorian theme. Um, but when they were going over um, the episode, it, it really came back and smacked me in the face. I, I, I don't like it. I, not that it, it's not bad. It's just, it's, it's not for me. Like it's not what I wanted from Star Wars, but it's so well done. And you know the guy is—he's like really young. Like he's born in one uh, AGB. So like that's after Ghostbusters. <laughs> and um, <laughs> yeah, he's a young man. He's like he's what thirty-five years old. Yeah, thirty-five. He's born on September first, nineteen eighty-four. Jeez. Uh, so after Ghostbusters re- was released, and um, yeah. No, but the, oh man, it was cool, and I loved how um, everyone was blown away by the first piece that they recorded. And then he's like, "Okay, settle down, guys. There's a lot more to go." <laughs> like I like that. I thought he's kind of cool. He's 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 a typical. Uh, I'm an atypical musician, and like he is a typical musician, um, and I kind of like that. I I like that about this type of. He's not a he's not a nerd like let's say a a, a score composer or a, uh, an orchestral composer would be, uh, but he's he's nerdy in his coolness, which which fits Star Wars. Like, I don't know. If, I don't know. That was just my. We you know we throw around terms like genius too often. I don't know if this guy's a genius, but he's definitely like a type of savant. Definitely, yeah. Like to be able to just go from instrument to instrument to instrument and just compose and layer things together the way he does. Okay, we need to settle down a little bit because, <laughs> like, what's cool is his layering, right? Like, if I think what what this guy would, where his strong point is, is that he could take those two notes at a time on the recorder. And then he knows which key he's in. So yeah, when you add that piano to the recorder sound, all of a sudden you have an actual song as opposed to blowing into a pipe. And so I don't know. I don't know if to me, it seems like it's a happy accident the way, the way they show him composing it. Like, I don't think he sat down with the idea of I'm going to, this is he's, I don't think he had the recipe for the cake before he started layering. No, I think you're right. I think he just kind of just went there and I think he seems like that very naturalistic type of guy that oh, it's going to hit me. I'm going to play around yeah. and it's going to speak to me. Exactly. And I, and I, I'm, like I'm going to find it. As soon as he played those couple of notes and then he's like, oh, I could play this on the piano. Oh, I could strum this on the guitar. Like once once you know what key you're in, um, then you're able to layer stuff. And his genius is knowing not only what to put, but not to put too much. And and how to diversify, and that's where he's really really good. Um, like I loved watching this. Honestly, this episode was, I it um, it spoke a lot to me 
outside of Star Wars. Like it actually, I picked up my guitar this week for the first time in a long time. Nice. Like th- that's what that did. That's what that did for me. Like, and um, it's kind of the way I write my music. Um, and for for those who have heard my fully produced uh, tracks, that's how I write. I'll write on the acoustic guitar and then I just start layering, 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 layering. And if you've heard my EP where everything is like really fully produced, every single layer on that thing came out of my mind. So I, I loved seeing his process because it kind of validated my process. And so that's why it's hard for me to say he's a genius because that if I, 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 I can't consider myself a genius. So uh, you, you can. No, no but I'd be you. delusional. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. I'm not delusional, and um, so, so I think yeah, he's very, very talented, and uh, obviously he has a lot more time than I do to devote to it. So yeah, he's he's more of a um, uh, gifted, probably, and um, but there's nothing that probably. he was doing. <laughs> no, there, there's there's nothing that he was doing that I couldn't do with the tools that he has. Okay, Beck. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Just telling you. <laughs> yeah, you know, coming into this series, I was sort of skeptical. Like, I like, I like, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to Star Wars music. I like it when it's orchestral. I don't like when Clone Wars put in some of that like electronic, purely electronic music in those earlier episodes. I don't know if that was like out of a cost consideration thing where they just bought no. music. No, uh, I, I think it was a vibe that they were trying to expand on that really didn't wasn't received well i did not like it rebels kind of did it a couple times as well oh no i I didn't like it so when i heard that they were gonna mix take this guy and he's gonna mix in some some electronics type stuff i was like oh boy like that's the kind of thing that you get with the bvs soundtrack with the junkie xl working with han zimmer it works to some success for me but oftentimes I find myself like skipping tracks entirely because I just I don't like the mix. But in this ep- in this show, and it's probably biased because it's Star Wars and I'm prone to like it more. But I I, I enjoy most of what comes out of this. I, I again I don't listen to it in the way that I listen to the other regular soundtracks. And that, one of the things I think might be unfortunate for the music of the Mandalorian is that. I don't know that it's ever going to be made available on physical media. And I think it might, it could just, I don't know if that's good or bad, but like it, it might just get lost to time when it gets, when it's just there out there on digital. I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe I'm just showing my ass and my age, <laughs> but it's, you know, it's actually no stupid. It's actually easier if it's digital only, but uh, yeah, I know. I do hope this, this guy sticks around for a while. Anyway. Yeah, I was really impressed, man. Like, honestly, like, that's all I can really say is just the whole process of what he did and the experimentation again, like, and the, the, what John Favreau again, like uh, what you were saying earlier about, you know, the process in filmmaking, like they kind of reiterated here with the music in that, you know, we don't want to just copy paste. Like we want to do something new, but still has that vibe and in my opinion they absolutely nailed it yeah they talked about like yeah because again we, we talked about a little bit this about this in our upcoming episode of, of worthy of recognition where everybody 
has their differences in Star Wars, but everybody, everybody can agree on the music. Everybody loves what John Williams did. And they just didn't want to hide in that shadow. So they wanted to step out from that a little bit and do something a bit different, but still be faithful to to the sound. And I, I think they've done a pretty good job. And I'm I'm definitely looking forward to uh, what Gorenson's got up his sleeve, his big, big baggy sleeves for, for season two. <laughs> All right. Um, moving ahead here. I was hoping to talk about Star Wars Squadrons a little bit tonight, but the teaser trailer is only going to drop as this podcast hits the feed for our powerful friends. So, oh. yeah, just, I mean, there's not Wasn't much to it, say. Didn't you say in the group that it was like tomorrow, as in today? Yeah, I, mean, I I I totally misread that. I thought it, they said, I, I thought I read the announcement that it was happening in two days, but I don't know, whatever. So the trailer comes out for that Monday, the fifteenth, as opposed to today. So I've got we've got really nothing to talk about other than I can just say that my prayers have been answered. Like you guys know, and anybody who's listened to us for any length of time, when we talk about video games, rare as that is, that I've said like I just want a Star Wars dogfighting game. Like the Battlefront yep. Two component of it is cool. But I want like a story mode and we're finally getting that. And it's great for me. Like I know that the focus of this game, uh, Star Wars Squadrons, is on the multiplayer, which eh, whatever I can live without. I probably won't use it. But yeah, right. Come on. I was thinking about it last night. Like I don't even know what system it's going to drop on for PS4 or 5. But I was thinking about it, man. Like just think of it, man. Like because the PS4 or 5 actually comes with like the headset everything included i think from the promo stuff that i saw so you know you gotta dabble a bit online but how cool would it be for that to be like just hook up with a few buddies like hey rogue squadron like getting together at this time eastern standard like be there and you just have your own squadron of buddies like like all rogues report in carlos oh there goes carlos I don't know. I just think it'd be awesome to check in on like a Friday or Saturday night, man. Just do like a little mission, you know, like our yeah, boys I against guess, yours. I guess it could be cool, but eh, multiplayer has just never done it for me. I've never cared. I'm more of the story campaign guy. There is going to be a sh- another one in this game, and I'm I'm really curious to see how they'll integrate that story into canon. So yeah, I'm I'm going to be all over this. I know I I said that with Fallen Order, which I have yet to buy. <laughs> So I'm going to have, you know, I'll be, I'll be two games behind three when you consider the pod racing game that still has yet to drop. Uh, but yeah, this one's right. How about this, Kyle? I, I can't wait to play this. Like you, I mean, I know you're not a gamer anymore, but you're definitely, you have a PS4 at least, you know? So how is there still like codes in games? Like there was back in the day, like remember in Rogue Squadron, the video game where you can be like X, Y, Z, like left, right. And then the Falcon would come up in the docking bay. Or like the TIE Interceptor or the Naboo Fighter. Like there was codes to access other ships. I have think- no idea, dude. Like I I don't even bother checking. Like I just play the game <laughs> badly. I just I just indulge. It's, it's a thing that I could just do like totally in a silo when it comes to Star Wars. I don't really, again, I don't do the online thing. So I don't engage with other people that way. I just want to go shoot some Stormtroopers or, or shoot a few TIE Fighters. You know, that, that is the the extent of it. I get, the, you know, for, for Battlefront 2, the, the story mode, 
was very short. So, you know, people who play a lot of video games were disappointed because the campaign was so short. But for me, like, I don't play a lot. Like, I play once every week, every couple of weeks. So the campaign, when it's like six hours long, for a gamer, that's nothing. For me, it took me weeks, months to get through it because I just chip away little bits at a time. But uh, I'm looking forward to this, man. Like, I, I, I don't, I, I can't wait. People are like, as listening to me kind of dribble out of my mouth about how cool this is going to be. You're probably watching a trailer right now. But uh, yeah, man, I'm excited. That's what I'll be doing yeah, on Monday. Seriously. I'm super excited too, man. I've, I'm right there with you, man. Like Rogue Squadron was one of the last favorite games I had ever played, and it's that open space. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I love, uh, I love flying around like that, man. And the the choice of ships should be pretty awesome. That should be, and you probably get to choose between Imperial and and uh, Rebellion. Definitely, yeah. Oh yeah, that, yeah. That's the, one of the coolest things about like the just playing against AI or multiplayer in Battlefront Two when you do a, a a starfighter battle is that you can pick which side you want to play with, and it's it's cool, man. Lots of different ships can be unlocked, lots of hero ships as well. Like man, that's it's gonna be rad. I can't wait to see them put all the resources into like uh, a, a, a dogfight engine or you know however that terminology works. I can't wait to see it. It's gonna be so rad. But you, you too, you haven't heard it. Well, I guess it'll come out on PS4 as well. But do you know if it's coming out on PS5 as well? I, I gotta imagine it will. I mean, I don't know that they're ready to discontinue support and putting out games for PS4 just yet. No, no, of course not. So yeah, I think it's gotta be for both. But again, I'm assuming we'll, we'll know. We'll know more tomorrow. By the time people hear this, they'll already have the answer. So. Um, Moving on, we'll get on from this because we have nothing to add at this point. So, uh, I we don't talk a lot about books because you guys don't read. I'm pretty sure ah. you know how to read, but I we don't. We Does just, this book have pictures? It has a picture on the front cover. Okay. Beyond that, I don't know. But uh, late last week, we learned You're losing me. <laughs> uh oh. Well, Delray was Star Wars. Delray was teasing. And I think a lot of fans kind of knew what was coming, but we finally got that announcement of the uh, the anthology series from a certain point of view, of the Empire Strikes Back version. The, the thing that everybody thought was Project Luminous. <laughs> How wrong were we? So that's finally coming from StarWars.com. It says, the anthology series from a certain point of view is set to return with from a certain point of view, the Empire Strikes Back, celebrating 40 years of Empire uh, Episode Five, and arriving November 10th. Like its predecessor from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back will feature 40 stories by 40 authors reimagining the classic sequel through the eyes of background characters, heroes, villains, droids, and creatures. And it goes on to talk about how they, all the authors forego any compensation for their stories, and all the proceeds go to First Book, which is a nonprofit that provides learning materials to schools and students, and... Man, that's that's so cool. Just for that, it's worth it. And you know, Penguin Random House is, is going to donate like a hundred grand to First Book, and then Disney Lucasfilm is going to donate a hundred thousand books to support uh, the First Book program. So this is a worthwhile venture, and the the first volume for for A New Hope is so good. Some stories are weird and not always my cup of tea, but overall, what a great collection of stories. And like the it said in the the uh, breakdown. It's all told from like background characters, which you know the people that you never hear of, 
R5D4 gets a story in the first version, in the first book. A Jawa gets a story. You know, uh, uh, Captain Antilles aboard Leia's ship. He gets a story, a, an amazing story. So I, I guess with that in mind, I, I think it'd be fun to talk about some of the stories that we'd like to see covered here from the, from the point of view of background characters. And again, by the time this podcast hits like the main feed, we'll already know the author list. And I think to this point, as we record, like 36 or 37 of the 40 authors have already sort of confirmed their participation. So there's a lot of familiar names in there, a lot of new names as well. But I I, I think it's, let's, let's have a few minutes here to have some fun and think about some of the crazy side stories that we might get that might fill in some really cool blanks uh, from The Empire Strikes Back. So, uh, Carlos, do you, have you have you anything that you want to throw out there? Yeah, I want to know more about um, Lobot. Yeah. Yes, I definitely crossing that off my list. <laughs> There's um, a good Lobot story out there so far in canonical Marvel comics, but yeah, I want more. Definitely well, I, more. I think um, I don't know if this is just fan talk or if it's somewhat quasi confirmed, but I think Charles Soule might be doing Lobot. Don't hold me to that, but by the, again, there's there's an event early this week that's going to unveil all the authors and probably what story they're tackling. Uh, so Ooh. Charles Soule, he's written he's written Lobot before, so it makes sense that he would do a short story here. But yeah, definitely we're going to get Lobot. Corey, what what do you got? Oh man, I got all kinds. Lobot was definitely high on the list, but you know what? I'm just going to bring my big guns out right away before any you tools say it, but. <laughs> I, I will definitely go out on a limb and say 110% we are getting a Will Rowe Hood story. <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson with the ice cream machine? <laughs> yes, exactly. Why? <laughs> what is what is in that ice cream machine? It's best car. Find out. We know it's best car. Yeah, it's uh, something something along those lines. Something those, very valuable. A Camtono, as, as the client calls it. It's gelato. Galactic gelato. Yeah, I, I would be Brave. absolutely shocked if there's no Will Rowe Hood story. Shocked. Yeah, that, that's the big one, man. Come on. Yeah, me too. I'll be shocked. Like, that one literally just popped in my head not too long ago. It wasn't on my original list, but I was like, what am I thinking? It's got to be Will Rowe. Will Rowe. Well, I, yeah, I want to know. Hoods. I want to know. That, 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 the title of the story should be The Run of the Hood. <laughs> you go get him, Corey. You tell him. Recall everything. Reprint it. I, I, you know, just to shine a light on one of our buddies, Kigo wrote a couple of short stories that would have oh fit in perfectly here. Not one of those uh, shiny golden <laughs> droid stories. Like, like he wrote a story about uh, a soldier on Hoth uh, trying to, like, who kind of, like, misses the boat during the evacuation and gets kind of sort of left behind and pays the price for it. It, it was mm. a, a, astounding. And he also wrote another one about a cloud car pilot and just like the ins and outs of their life on Bespin. And then this, this one day the empire shows up and there's this white T 1300 freighter that shows up and he's got to escort it in. And he, Kigo writes this story and it just draws you right back into that time of the movie. Brilliant. It's brilliant. And I just want to know if they asked Kigo, if they could have those, those stories. And if they didn't, I will say now that they they the book is lesser for it without having those stories. <laughs> shame, shame, shame. 
But otherwise, you know what I'd love to see? I would love to see a Major Durlin story. And I'll more more than Major, Major Durlin, I'd love to see him placed at a bar post Hoth. Just just so that yes. I, can, I can have John Ratzenberger in my visual at a bar. <laughs> but then I got yeah. the, I'm like, wait a sec. Now I want a Major Durlin prequel story where he hits the bar and <laughs> Oh, what's his? Oh my God, what's his name? Norm? No, no, no. Woody's character. Oh, Woody from Solo. Oh, Oh, Beckett. Beckett. Yeah, yeah. he Major Dolan walks into a bar, and Beckett's behind the counter slinging beers. I would love to see that. Someone commit that to screen. Before he becomes a bounty hunter, (laughs) Beckett is. He works at a. He works at a cantina. Like that would be. So funny. Yeah, it'd be pretty funny. Um, yeah, you know, you know what else could be cool? An Argonaut story. Yes, again, I... Carlos stealing my thunder. That's that's prime. Even you can even like make it quill if you wanted to make the universe small or the galaxy small. But definitely because of quill, I think we will get an Argonaut story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, an Ugnaught story would be cool. Uh, I wonder if it's... In the current Star Wars Marvel run, where Luke is sort of... Luke has gone back to Bespin after Empire, and he's looking for his lightsaber. And he kind of runs into a couple of Ugnaughts who may have seen it. I can't can't quite remember. But maybe that Ugnaught story weaves into that story a little bit too. Like, that could be really interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. That's another one on my list. I have Luke's saber, where to go, what happened. Ugnaught's playing into that would be pretty kind of cool. Yeah, I can get that. Maybe even get Maz Kanata in the mix. Yeah, I don't think they're going to go there though. Yeah, I, that's, I think that's being saved for the comic. Yeah, that's yeah. It's going to be in a bigger, more more uh, solid canon as opposed to light canon that this this thing is. Can I just come back to one thing? Sure. Who has a certain point of view, the first one, that's supposed to be sent around to everybody in the Commonwealth? Because I still didn't get it, and I want it. Oh, the boys at the Nerd Room have it. I think they're, 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 they're pushing Corey's record for hanging on to it <laughs> longer than needed. That's awesome. Yeah, we, we, need, we need to get that. We need to get that around. <laughs> <laughs> because before I get this book, I'm going to buy this book just because of the money that is going... Um, the cause like the, the cause but i i i definitely want to get the first one uh before november if that's possible <laughs> <laughs> only time will tell you we gotta we gotta hit up our friends over there and see what uh, what's going on uh i'm gonna play off what you said with it with the bar there kyle just quickly like i, I was thinking something like with dengar and bosk and boba fett just kind of waiting for darth vader to show up kind of shooting the shit maybe you know Oh, for, sure, for sure, we're gonna get um, we're gonna get some bounty hunter thing happening. Yeah, that could be really like that could be a really good story in the sense that you know they all have this camaraderie, but at the same time they're all trying to screw each other over, like uh, just this evil, deceitful web of lies. Well, uh, talking about bounty hunters, so in the scene where Chewie goes to fetch three PO's blown apart body pieces, on the ground is an IG droid, which is IG-88. That is really? can- canonically, yeah. that's IG-88's dead body yeah. scrapped at Bespin. Boba Fett, he, 
So the story is, and I don't, I don't know where this story actually happens. I've never seen it, but it's, it's canonical. Yeah, it's uh, in the encyclopedia. I have one of the books. It's a DK publishing, but it, it says it straight up. Straight up. And it's, it's, uh, Boba Fett gets the drop on Han Solo, but IG-88's got the drop on Boba Fett. And so he gets the Bespin and him and Boba Fett have a tussle and IG-88 is scrapped. And he, he comes back to life, but whatever. So a little bit of that story being told, like hauling off this IG droid, or maybe tell the story itself. And I know, I know the, the first book didn't necessarily get that. Uh, I don't know what the right word is, but like in your face with like, I know you want this and here it is. Mm. Like really up the, the biggest story. The two biggest stories are like right up front. So I don't know if we'll get that, but I, I think a story through IG-88's eyes or through some other, like an Ugnaught's eyes about hauling this stupid IG droid that's been destroyed and dumping it into like next to the smelter. That would be pretty rad too. What else you got, Corey? Uh, you know, I was kind of thinking of this. this is kind of really sadistic a bit, but you know, when you think baby Yoda and what he's capable of consuming from a physical standpoint, you kind of think a little more about Yoda and maybe why he chose Dagobah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's just like mm, dig Yoda, the hunter, like <laughs> he's swamp garbage. That's what he loves. Yeah. But he's able to, you know, you see it, the baby Yoda anyhow, just kind of eats these things whole. Anyway, it just kind of made me think when I was like, wait a minute, like Yo, Dagobah is just teeming with those kind of creatures. Like that's kind of, I don't think that's a coincidence, but I don't know. I thought that was kind of funny. What else we got here? We got to, how about, I think we might get a story, you know, they kind of touched upon Kyle said it like R5 D4, like something, maybe not from an astromech, but maybe from an animal's point of view. And maybe we can go with the wampas. Uh, I was going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wampas, you know, it's like, we live in this one spot. It's like, why does this rebellion have to dish? Like the rebellions, like their empire. It's like, why are you here? Go away. This is all we have. And they're like, what? what? We, or, have, we have or, so little. Or for a little comedic relief, we get Wampa and the Tauntaun. Like the odd couple. Yeah. It's <laughs> living together. There's nothing so absurd that I would that I would say, nah, that won't be in it. Like that could uh, be in it. It literally could be in it. Yeah. It really could. A cool story too. Just I guess my last one that I had really just thought about quickly was uh, maybe Lando's predicament prior to Empire. Right? They might save that for the comic. Maybe toward the end of this new run, but. It'd be cool to kind of see how Lando prepares beforehand, knowing that Han is on like incoming and the Empire is like there and how he's just kind of like maybe talking to Lobot or, you know, just preparing things mentally, like how he's going to handle the situation, the situation he's been put in. I mean, I guess they could, but like, I guess a story centered on Lando himself through Lando's eyes kind of runs against what the book says it is like through the like eyes of background leading, characters. 
events leading up to. Like, it, I could see it be through about, like, even if it's Wilro Hood who's talking about the peace, you know, uh, of Bespin. Talking about Bespin and life here and, oh, what's how like, prosperous it was. Things are changing here. Secu- why, like, security is getting tighter here. What's going on? Oh, there's a message from the Baron Administrator. Ooh, the umpire's here. What? And the umpire? <laughs> the, um- <laughs> the umpire's here. Whatever. You're uh, out. <laughs> uh, Carlos, what do you got? Uh, no, that's it. I was going to say just, uh, I was going to try to be funny with the Wampa thing, but, um, I, I like that, that idea of like, what's the, the millennium Falcon lands and Lando's not there to greet them. What's the conversation he's having before he comes out to the landing pad? You know what I mean? Like, I, I would love that, like to know what was the holdup. Yeah. But obviously, that's too much in canon for it to be part of this story. But that just made me think about that. Well, that would be a, a rat. Yeah, you're right. I think it's too close to the surface. But it's – I would love to know because for sure, Lando's already sort of making a, a, up a plan on the fly. Um, I, I would like to see a story about Torin Farr, who is that lady who sits at Ion Control. Just some sort mm. of story about – living in rebel command and not being so much a leader, but just someone who sits at the controls and, and helps make the the th- whole thing work. Uh, I think whatever the story is through her point of view would be cool. Uh, but I wonder because this character kind of came to life 25 years ago or so in this era, I wonder if somebody finally does a dash Rendar story and finally just mm. makes everybody go a little bit crazy in the head. I don't know. I I almost think that if Dash Rendar were ever to come to the fore, it might be on television or like a visual standpoint. That would really make people go crazy. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, just to put him in a book like this, which is canon, but, you know, maybe not. That would that would just make people so annoyed. Like, is he is he real or not? Um. All right, so I also I threw out the line to the powerful friends, our Patreon supporters, and wanted to know what they thought or you know some some wish list stories on that they'd like to see told. Uh, what do you think, Rural Farm Boy said? Oof. Um... <laughs> the answer may surprise you. Or won't it? <laughs> <laughs> Is it so obvious that it's right over my head right now? It's a pure RFB answer. Oh, give me give me the story. It doesn't matter what it is. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love him. Love I think it. you're the best. Yep. And he's like, yeah, he's like, I, you know, we've spoken about this directly. You knew I'd say this. And I'm like, yes, yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. It's great. Great. Um, Nathan chimes in. He, a, a probe droid story. Definitely cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Like, well, uh, imagine a story about where all the other probe droids went. Yeah. This yeah. A cool. probe droid that just got sent to this nowhere planet. Yeah. <laughs> um, R2 on Dagobah hmm. kind of speaks to me on a, on a deeper level based on what we saw from the Clone Wars series, knowing that R2's been to Dagobah before. 
like what is going through his processors when he's there with Luke on Dagobah going, and I've seen all this. I know this place. I know that guy. I could tell Luke everything, but I won't. <laughs> he needs to learn for himself. This is yeah. the way. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So supposedly. Uh, and then finally he throws, throws the name of Dengar in there, mm. which of course, very possible. Uh, Rick chimes in. I want a Ray Sloan story in this time period and a Sinjir Wrath Velas story of him as a torturous Imperial. I'm also sure that Tauntaun <laughs> that got cut open had a family. So there's <laughs> a, another request for a Tauntaun story, which is which is interesting. That that could definitely happen. Um, but yeah, Ray Sloan, that would be a cool surprise. And Sinjir would be a nice place to... This would be nice to catch up with him again, especially on the other side of his career. In the aftermath books, he's out of the empire, but he has a very uh, checkered past as a member of the empire. So to see him in that in that mode could be cool too. And then Dave Hackerson uh, chimes in, says, uh, "Data pad officer on the on the executor deck. What flashed mm. through his mind as Vader walked past him?" Yeah, that's. I was just just thinking that. That's awesome. There's a whole story there. Just, you know, that one poor loser on the deck who's trembling in fear as Darth Vader walks by. Um, Admiral Piet, two scenes come to mind. First, I'd love to have insight to his thoughts when he enters Vader's meditation chamber and catches a glimpse of the scarred head under the helmet. Uh, second, the near heart attack he must have had when the Millennium Falcon made the jump to light speed. Uh, you see it in his face, too. That was great facial acting. He's like, oh, no, I'm dead. Yeah. And then Vader just walks away. Yeah, because Vader knows that it's not. He knows R2 is there. And it's just, he's just, he's, even Vader's world's been turned upside down. Yeah. He's, by that, at that point forward, he's not killing people left, right, and center anymore. Um, and then finally, Dave, from Dave says, uh, a wampa, a day in the life on Hoth. Joy, <laughs> joy at finding a Tauntaun to feast on. Curiosity at discovering a human being with the Tauntaun. So no shortage of requests to see a story from the Wampa or and, and or the Tauntaun. And the good news is that we spit, we spit out, what, maybe 15 ideas? And they're giving us 40. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see where they go with this. It's going to yeah. be wild. Yeah, there's definitely going to be some oddities, like you said. Absolutely. All right. Uh, that's what I'm all about, too, man. I love that. Those rare, weird, like, it's like, what? Maybe a story about something on the medical frigate, like the guy who had to replace Luke's hand. Like, you sure you want this flesh color? Like, you don't want to like something more robot-y? <laughs> Maybe I can give you a cool hook. Would you like a hook? <laughs> Maybe I could just stick the lightsaber right in the hand. How would you? How would you like that? Uh, you would, no, he didn't have the lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> how about a, how about a meatball cannon? You think they'd go there, or do you think they'd save that for comics as well? Like the well, that's after the fact, so... But Luke's journey to get a new kyber crystal and all that. Uh, that's going to be a comic thing. For sure. That's gonna, Yeah, Charles Soule will, will, I would say, likely deal with that in this in this run. Well, they even mentioned it, and I think, I think it was the Mando they mentioned it this week. Like It's as simple as shooting a blue lightsaber on blue sky. Need a new lightsaber. Yep. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you. Thank you, powerful friends, for chiming in with your input. Love it. Can't wait to see and can't wait to like kick the stories around back, uh, come November, December timeframe that we can uh, 
enjoy these stories for what they are. And definitely, if you can swing it, pick up this book. Uh, it's going to a great, great cause. New to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com. All right, that leads us to our last point tonight. It's a question from Wayne Darth Knight or Darth Newman Knight. <laughs> I, I didn't give him that name. Just so you know. Uh, all right, so he says, Hello, guys. I hope all is well. A couple weeks back, you mentioned the monologue that Filoni gives during episode two of The Mandalorian Gallery. I finally got a chance to watch it this past week, and I too was amazed. Lucas had a vision for Star Wars and created an amazing universe. However, his directorial ventures are uneven, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. In the OT, Lucas did a nice job of handing the directing reins to Kirshner and Marquand, and the movies are better for it. As you said, Lucas is a great idea man, the Steve Jobs of Star Wars. However, getting his vision to the screen seems better when someone else directs. Someone else directs. Who do you think could have handled the prequel trilogy better? Could another director have gotten better performances from some of the actors or could they have trimmed the fat from certain scenes? What if Peter Jackson directed the prequels or Spielberg? Would we have better movies? Just a thought. Thanks for all you do. Wayne, Darth Knight. Darth, why do I keep doing that? I had it right here in front the, of me. The Dark Knight. <laughs> that must be it. Wayne, yeah. Darth Newman Knight. Thank you, Wayne. Um, all right. So just before we get into this, I'm vetoing three names from our chats. Spielberg. Zemeckis, Ron Howard, because those are three names that George Lucas asked anyway. And Howard already directed Solo, so... I yeah, and he was, well, he's the one that famously <laughs> talked about it. Ron Howard has talked about how George Lucas wanted him to do the prequels, at least Phantom Menace. Yep. And he said, no, there's like, you gotta do this. This is... And I I have I have two better names for the for Phantom Menace. But those are two solid choices, too. Even Zemeckis, man, like... But yeah. yeah, definitely Ron Howard and Steven Spielberg are the obvious choices. Yeah, and yeah, those those would have been amazing choices, no doubt. They would have produced fabulous uh, prequel movies. And I, but even, like, even like, Spielberg directed, uh, I think from like the shadows or un uncredited, yeah, uh, a scene the, from Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, the the battle at Mustafar. Part of it, anyway. Yeah, I don't know if he did the whole thing, but certainly part of it. So anyway, uh, Carlos, you got a whole whole list of names there. We got some time here. Who's uh, give me give me a name from your list? Okay, so I took I took three uh, I took two approaches. I I have three directors directing uh, episode one, episode two, and episode three, and I have um, director for the whole trilogy as a whole. Okay, cool. So if we'll, we'll do one for one and then who I think would have been able to direct the trilogy as a trilogy. Yeah. Cause I have, uh, I, have one, I have one name and it's just, it's somebody that I think could have handled all three, but go, so like, you, no, go ahead. Let's, let's start with, let's start with you. Okay. So for, for me, when I, when I, I, I took the names of, and the themes of the movies into consideration 
And when I think of the Phantom Menace, I think of M. Night Shyamalan. I like, remember, this is 1999. Yeah. This is after the, the success of The Sixth Sense. Oh, he's right. That was the year it came out, no? In 98, I think it came out. So, um, I, 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 if you think of The Phantom Menace and you think of what M. Night uh, is really good at uh, when it comes to um, suspense and building, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, just the suspense. Yeah, and that's yeah, but it's the layering, right? Like um, it, nothing is as it seems with him. Yes. And when you think of the Phantom Menace, I think there's not a there's not a better director to 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 portray that. Unfortunately, what George did wasn't that. <laughs> so, um, I think we, we crap on George a lot, and I do specifically for uh, the way he directs actors. Um, but it's also a little bit of the writing, and I think that M. Night could have done a better job with that movie. I, I agree so that- completely. I mean, again, this is, this, is, this is something Nathan and I talked about in Worthy of Recognition coming up this week, that Lucas, you know, great idea guy, like, like, um, like Wayne said here. But the, his execution, I think, is is where it falls flat a lot of times, and that's in in, in the directing and in the writing. Yep. But the idea, this the story itself, the core of the story is is brilliant. It's just sometimes it just the way it gets to screen is is clumsy. But yeah, M Night Shyamalan for sure. I mean, one of the things going into the prequels, we knew Palpatine is the Phantom Menace. I I I think that was known. It seems like crazy to think that it wasn't in reference to him, but. Even though going in, if you know it, I think Shyamalan could have done a great job of uh, making it suspenseful and questionable anyway. Well, I think in, in the in the marketing, we were meant to believe that Maul was the Phantom Menace. Yeah, maybe. So you know, and, and, you, you'd have, and, you think and to if, another degree too, it could be Anakin as well in a in a way. Like yeah, he's such an innocent child, but no, he will be a menace. Up until a couple of weeks ago, we thought the duel of the fates was the fate. Uh, We didn't know that it was about Anakin's fate of it being Qui-Gon or Obi-Wan. And Dave Dave Filoni blew our doors off, right? Yeah. Yeah. Father of brother. So so I I don't know if... I think in, in perspective, in hindsight, we could say that the Phantom Menace is... Obviously, it's Palpatine because he's he's behind the scenes, and um, but I don't know if that was part of the marketing. Like I, I think they wanted us to think that it was Maul, like the new badass. Yeah, quite Either possibly. way, but yeah, so that, that that's a good pick, and I, I think that yeah, that Phantom Menace came out after Sixth Sense, so Shyamalan obviously he couldn't have done it given the timing of all these things, but. He would he would have been coming in riding an absolute high. So yeah, that would that, that would have been a cool dynamic dynamic. What do you got, Corey? Well, that's the thing. Like M Night Shyamalan, like I considered him, but I was like, he wasn't super established at that point. You know, they they would have had to do pre production years before, and that's why I'm like really putting myself back into the '90s here. Like 
I mean, I got quite a few here. I don't know if you want to rattle them off or whatever, but yeah, let's try to give one each so that we don't burn each other's lists. Well, so we'll let's start with, I'm going to start with a real oddity. Okay. Like just hear me out here. Uh, I'm going to say then the Wachowski brothers, now the Wachowski sisters, but you know what they did with the matrix back in the day, like they were not very well established, but they were handed the keys to something very uh, valuable. And they, you know, they, they rode with it, man. They, they really took it to the next level. So if they shared George's vision from a technological standpoint and all that, and the passion for the project, I think they could have, you know, made a pretty interesting trilogy. And I'm going to say that that was the Wachowski brothers was my pick for um, the team to direct as a trilogy. Because if you look at the Matrix itself, there's a chosen one. <laughs> it's it's It rhymes incredibly with what Star Wars is. Neo uses the forest to stop the Sentinels at the end of the second episode. It's it's incredible, honestly. Like the 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 similarities between the two. So if any for me, if 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 I was gonna pick one guy or a team, it was the Wachowski, the Wachowski brothers uh, to to take care to take care of that. Because well, so, like there you go. also Off when you think list. about it, like the thing, the another reason why they step into those shoes for me too is just. Uh, the technological thing, like what they did with the Matrix, right? Like that was revolutionary at the time. That's what George is all about. So when you look at other directors from that time period, like maybe like Gus Van Zandt, for example, yeah. like, you know, he's great, but, you know, has he really directed something to this scale or does he understand action the way it needs to be played out? So you got to kind of take that into consideration as well. Yeah, and the Wachowskis were like huge in Kung Fu and, uh, I mean, it was, for me, it was a perfect fit. Like, but obviously, in a in a hindsight, you know, type of situation. What about you, Kyle? Well, I, yeah, I think one of the things we're just assuming that you know you take these different people and they're strong-headed people. Like George Lucas has his firm vision, and the uh, the Wachowskis come in and they would have their firm vision. I'm just like I think for the spirit of the game here, it's just like, we'll put them together and they will work nicely together. And the pre the prequels would have been awesome under them. Uh, I, I, in reality, they probably would have fought like crazy <laughs> and split apart. Um, Maybe. I, for me, it, it came down to one name and cool. uh, it, it's, it's, it's a man who is now a part of the star Wars family, though we've not seen his work just yet in Robert Rodriguez. And I, oh. in that prequel era, like he was all about experimenting with new technology. Like he had movies like Shark Boy and Lava Girl, which was terrible, but he was, you know, in out there dabbling with the same kind of technological stuff that Lucas would have found fascinating. And he worked with kids, which he would have needed to do. Um, but That's he also, he also had done those like, um, like more, more cult movies with uh, darker overtones. Now I, I'm drawing blanks on the other movies he's done. Yeah, like the, he did the Grindhouse. Uh, but even even back then, what, like, what did he do? He did the the one with uh, Antonio Banderas. Was it Desperado or no? A whole trilogy. Once upon a time in Mexico. That that sounds about right. 
I'm gonna. But the grindhouse with Tarantino, like Rodriguez, is hardcore. Like, but I like what you've said about the technological thing. Like, I would would have never really put those two together. Yeah, I just I feel like he would have been like, oh yeah, I, I'll do the green screen thing. I'm all about this experimental stuff. Let's do it, you know. Uh, but he also can handle more serious fare. So yeah, he did uh, El Mariachi, which was almost 30 years ago. Uh, the Sin City movies. So he can do some pretty wild stuff. Yeah, Sin City was pretty out there from a you know visual technological standpoint. From Dusk Till Dawn mm. with yep. George Clooney. He did Alita Battle Angel, but of course that's, that's much newer. Um, so yeah, that, I mean... He's got the chops, no matter how you break it down. Uh, and I, you know, I think then he, he would have been like 30 years old. And so that would have been straight up Lucas's street to get like this young up and comer that he could work with, but still sort of lord over a little bit. Uh, so I, I think you're doing perfect in handling the prequels. And that's, that's really the only name I could, I, I, I you know, I could have pulled out some other names, but I'm like, nah. To me, like Robert Rodriguez would be some somebody that Lucas would do, uh, hand the reins to. But now I'll let you guys kind of fight it out and see who's going to steal each other's names. Carlos, go for it. Uh, okay, so when I was thinking uh, of of people, I thought of M Night because of the the Sixth Sense and the Phantom Menace thing. But it was also he started Unbreakable, and that that itself was a trilogy uh, with um, uh, Split and. And and Mr. and Glass, right? So he he was able to write a trilogy, and I was thinking, who else could write trilogies or direct trilogies? And I thought, uh, Episode Two, Attack of the Clones, is kind of like a run and gun bash uh, type of thing. And when I said bash, I thought of Basher from Ocean's Eleven and Steven Soderbergh. Uh, I think if you give him a script. If you were able to if give him the script for for that movie, I think he could put something out there that's not as clunky. Um, it, that the one thing I loved about the Ocean's Eleven movie, be, besides the fact that Brad Pitt's always eating, is like the writing and the directing of the actors, like the, the rapport between the actors and how the lines are. Uh, I, I I don't even know how to explain it. There's just like this this organic thing where it's as if those guys have been uh, been together for such a long time, and it's the complete opposite of what we get in Attack of the Clones, where everything is just so clunky, and it seems like they're 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 not even pl- the actors aren't even playing to each other. They're playing to screens or puppets, and um, yeah. I think it could have easily um, been a, a smoother, a smoother thing with uh, Steven Soderbergh uh, directing he, all three, or just part two. I think he would. Par- I think he would have crushed Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Oh, that movie would have been so slick under Soderbergh. Thanks, he, man. Oh God, I, he does one of my favorite movies of all time and out of sight there you go i love that movie so much and boy oh boy could that have been a cool movie and frankly revenge of the sith would have been great under him as well oh but i have a better name for that though 
<laughs> All right, Corey, right. who's who's on your list? Uh, oh, I just want to see someone quickly. Like this is kind of a bit of a, uh, not even a wish or a pipe dream, but for him it would have been. But Kevin Smith maybe could have been the guy, like you had said, Kyle, that George Lucas could have lorded over. He definitely has the passion for an understanding of, but maybe not on such an epic scale. No. But that could have been his breakthrough movie. But uh, I'll say one right here, just because the daunting visuals would have been an understanding of space and understanding of the t- at the time of epic big scale would maybe be Ridley Scott. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, his, no. his, his resume got the, is, is obviously... Yeah, it speaks for itself. Yeah, it speaks for itself. Again, you just wonder if he would have gotten into, like, him and Lucas come to... Bl- not not come to blows, but just, like, I see it this way, I see it that way. Um, you're George Lucas. This is your thing. I'm not going to win this argument. I'm out. But, yeah, just assuming well, that they, they work well together, yeah, Ridley Scott, for sure. For sure. I don't know. We, think, we, say, we say that... Denny Villeneuve these days just because of his visuals but like when I say visuals for Ridley Scott I'm not only thinking really aliens but more so Blade Runner you know what I mean like perfect for me like I think he could have nailed Attack of the Clones that's a good name and yeah and also because at the time he had done uh Gladiator yeah that's right that's what 01 2000 2001 yes yeah exactly which was a, a CG bonanza so he yeah, also he, very good though. Oh, I, I haven't seen that movie almost since it came out, and I I have the DVD. I think I still have it wrapped in cellophane. Yeah, isn't he banned from your house? Uh yeah, my wife's not a Russell Crowe fan at all. <laughs> she just thinks he's a blockhead and <laughs> refuses to watch anything that he's in. Oh well, Carlos, give us give us another name. Okay, so my last name is another guy who's um, done trilogies, and it's Luc Besson. Ooh. Um, he also directed Liam Neeson, so that's awesome. Uh, the, tr- the the Taken trilogy. Did Luc Besson um, direct all three, or at least the first two? Yeah. Okay. So I I don't know I I think. Um, with how tense um, Revenge of the Sith is, um, there's just... For me, yeah, M. Night would have been great for that. Uh, And Soderbergh might not have, you know, been up to the task for that, the ultimate part of that trilogy. So I, I like I like Luc Besson for 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 the uh, for episode three. It, it's just it's it's so heavy, and um, yes, there's a there's that there's that little speck of hope at the end, but there's not much, and that whole movie is just one tense ride. Um. So I don't know. Uh, it, to, to me, it got it got me thinking of of Taken, and then just the fact that it's Liam Neeson. It's like, yeah, obviously, it was just for me. It was just like the perfect choice. That would have been cool, for sure. 
man, there's, there's some good names out there. <laughs> I'm starting to get bummed out that maybe we don't live in this universe where we get to uh, see what those movies would have looked like. Man. Yeah, and I was going for, you know, guys who were who were working at that time, you know. Those, like, yeah, um, those, these are all big names at that time. So, that said, uh, Ryan Johnson, uh, I, he's, I would he's the best. <laughs> uh, yeah, after watching uh, the sequel trilogy, like yeah, Last Jedi is the best movie of those three. It's yeah. I mean, <laughs> again, we got Sorry. into this in worthy recognition, but uh, so you get a heavy dose of that if you're a powerful friend this week. But I, I completely agree. He's he's the most. Easily the most uh, dependable, solid director that yeah. the sequel trilogy had. He's complete and he tells a story. And you might not like the story, but he's telling a story without holes. Um, as opposed to... Uh, just felt the most Star Wars-y to me too, though. Yeah. Like organically, right? The most... Like, yeah, well, it honestly, like for a modern day version and twist, you know, like it didn't feel forced, like no pun intended. One in three of the sequel trilogy are quite campy, but part two really does have like a 21st century empire vibe. Yeah. There's a couple of crappy parts in that movie, but like, yeah, yeah. But, but I think overall, wow. Yeah. The episode nine could have used Ryan Johnson. That's all I'm saying. I'm going to, Let's leave it at that. All right. L- let me spit my last two out here. Like, I think from a, again, a technological standpoint, you know, uh, someone who, having been established, someone they might have bet- butted heads, like Kyle have said, like big names usually tend to do so with their visions and whatnot. But uh, James Cameron, you know, he's he's been a bit of a visionary unto himself. Oh, when no. it comes to filming and you know taking risks, you know he he did the Marianas Trench man by himself. Like that's crazy. What he's doing with Avatar, I think, is quite similar to what John Favreau is doing in The Mandalorian, kind of stealing his thunder in some degree, to some degree. But you know he he's big on technology and he's waited this long with Avatar to do something again that's. Uh, a bit be above and beyond i believe that's where they're going with this thing you know filming i think four movies back to back to back back to back is pretty incredible to make this thing i think it's, we're getting f- five avatar films in total so th- and they're filming them all just like they did with the matrix like just all in one shot which is pretty insane so he definitely had the the, the chops and he's definitely interested in the technology so he he could have been, you know, a, a choice. Anyhow, my final out there choice, it's going to be a bit of a trivia question for you guys. I'm going to start with you, Kyle, uh, Carlos. I think Kyle's going to know the answer. But my directing choice is a current director. He's still directing to this day. He's also an actor. And he was the big rumored actor that was going to portray Obi-Wan in the prequel trilogy. Ooh, I do know who you're talking about. And yeah, that, that could have been a good call too. Yeah, because he's very Shakespearean, a little clue. Don't do it, Carlos. Get off your Googler. Okay, what are you asking? 
Like who? Who am I thinking of? This director that I'm. Oh, you're asking of. me he to was, read your mind. Okay. No. The, uh, the question is really. He was originally rumored to play Obi Wan. Oh. He's a current oh. director right now, mm. and he's done a lot of Shakespearean stuff. Uh, you know, like it's I think he could have an, an early MCU film. Yeah, he did, yeah, and but he's also at that time in the the late nineties. He had already established himself as a director as well. He had about four or five films under yep. his belt, big films, Shakespearean films. It's a bit epic, and Shakespearean really plays into what we're talking about with Star Wars, from you know, like the you know the political proper standpoint when you're looking at films like that. So, could have been interesting. Kyle, want to just give us the answer? It's uh, Kenneth Branagh. Correct. Another name that's kind of come to my mind here, who I think could have done a fantastic job, is uh, Catherine Bigelow. Espe- okay. Especially with Revenge of the Sith. I think she could have done a, a really good job. Maybe Attack of the Clones too. Maybe not so much for Phantom Menace. Uh, but, you know, she did uh, Point Break. And this is just just prior to or her, the work that she had done before Phantom Menace. Off the top of my head was Point Break. Um, she did direct also Harrison Ford in that submarine movie. No, that was after. That was after. Um, Strange Days she did as well. That was pretty interesting. So you know she would have had like that sci-fi thingy going for her. Um, but yeah, I'm going forward. She's done movies like zero dark 30 and the hurt locker. And she did, I think the last one I saw from her was Detroit, which was the, the, some, With John the, yeah, the performances in that were crazy good. Uh, so she definitely, I think could have handled, you know, given point break and, uh, you know, I, yeah, I think Point Break was probably her, her most action-packed movie, but like the like adrenaline type action in that movie. Uh so I think I think she could have crushed it. So that, that that would be another name to add to my list. But nice. cool, like we got some we got some of the big names there in the, in the 90s aside from uh Spielberg, Zemeckis and Howard. So nice job, fellas. Thank you, Darth. Darth what is it? Darth Newman Knight? Darth Newman Wayne Knight. Thank you, sir. That is a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's safe to say that it, I think everybody we named is a better director than George Lucas in terms of an, oh. an ability to get something out of actors. So, yeah, maybe in a perfect world, where, you know, where George could have worked hand in hand with one of those people and where there wasn't wouldn't have been tension about like you know, creative control over the project. Any of those names I think would have delivered uh, superior movies than what we got, but we got what we got and who knows? Like, I, I don't want to tamper with the past and we're happily here in 2020 with the, with an embarrassment of Star Wars riches. So I'm happy to, to have the prequels as they are, but it is fun to dream about what could have been under the the stewardship of, of other directors. But again, thank you, Mr. Wayne Darth Newman Knight. Uh, that's going to do it, guys. I think we are done for another week. Uh, if you want to be part of the podcast, send your questions. TumblingSaber at gmail.com. We'll get them on the podcast. 
Uh, if you want to help us out, there's a bunch of ways you can do that. Uh, first of all, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, uh, share it with your friends, leave us a review, um, and become a powerful friend on Patreon if you are so inclined, where you'll get uh, our exclusive audio, early access, ad-free, all that stuff. Um, and we have a great conversation with Nathan coming up this week on Worthy of Recognition, so uh, jump in for that. Um, and also a shout-out to Rob Wade, our good friend from Talk Star Wars, for endorsing this episode and all episodes of Tumbling Saber as part of the E14 Endorse program. You can learn more about that at Emotionally14.com. Uh, and also be sure to check out our friends at the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. You can find us on Apple Podcasts as a podcast provider. That'll link you to all the shows that are we are currently affiliated with. Um, and you can also find us on Facebook, on Twitter. You can e- you know easily find us in any of those places. Uh, so with all that out of the way, guys, Carlos, where can you be found on social media? You can find me at the Funny Carlos or at C Candido Music on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, or at carloscandidomusic.com. Over to you, Corey. Guys, you can find me at Chop Rules with a Z on the Twitter machine. And uh, yeah, just other than that, join us on our closed, cozy, comfy Facebook group, all about Star Wars. Super fun. A lot of cool guys in there, girls, everybody. It's uh, it's my safe little haven of Star Wars. It's <laughs> true, were, man. It's so only, like this. You only reply unless you. It, if you get tagged yeah pretty much but i still read things and it is quite informative like dropping news man stuff stuff hits right as it comes fresh off the press if you need star wars news you hit the tumbling saber there you go um and for as for me you can find me in that tumbling saber group uh you can also find me on twitter and on instagram at tumbling saber in both places love to connect with you there chat about the galaxy far far away and uh that's gonna do it guys thank you everybody for listening this week hope you enjoyed it let us know what you thought and uh we're gonna catch you again next week in a new episode until then everybody may the force be with you static draws me closer to your place dreams fall away signs blindly to the lines on your face beating strong drifting And over
Are you running away? 